Disclaimer, the views and opinions and content expressed on this podcast is informational only, not a substitute for seeking a medical professional for your medical care and treatment. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Shapon Holiday. I am the host of the Help Me Holiday podcast, and uh, today I will be continuing my topics on the gastrointestinal uh, system and any conditions that affect this particular part of our body. Um, today, I'm going to talk about the intestinal tract and a condition that we see oftentimes where patients come in through the emergency room or sometimes they go into their doctor's offices for problems with intestinal uh, problems. Uh, one of the diagnoses that we see a lot or the condition uh, that we see a lot is called diverticulitis. Uh, most people don't associate a name for this. However, when they come in through the emergency room, they may say, hey, I'm having some uh, problems with uh, abdominal pain. And once again, the series that I started off with the gastrointestinal tract, a lot of the patients come in complaining of uh, gastrointestinal pain or abdominal pain. And what we do when we uh, work up and do studies and actually get a history about what's been happening, we're able to kind of pinpoint where in your abdominal area or the abdominal cavity, uh, what organ may be is the cause of your abdominal pain. So when people are coming into the hospital, they'll often say, hey, I'm having uh, problems in my stomach or I'm having pain there. And sometimes they'll come in and we find out it's a problem with the intestine. So tonight or today, I'm going to cover a topic called diverticulosis, diverticulitis. Okay, so what is this diverticular disease? All right, basically, I'll just start by talking about... uh, an overview. So uh, diverticulosis or diverticulum is a pouch. It's a pouch-like structure that is formed from points of weakness in the wall of the colon. So like I said before, the colon is a, was part of your intestinal tract. So these pouches are, and this weakness are at points where blood vessels pass through the wall. Diverticulosis affects mainly males, but females as, as well. And the, uh, the risk of this disease increases with age. It occurs throughout the world, but is seen more commonly in developed countries. So what is diverticular disease? Diverticulitis, or diverticulosis, rather, is uh, it describes the presence of your diverticula. And diverticulosis is often found during a test done for reasons such, uh, for other reasons, like I said, with if you're having abdominal pain. So we'll look at the, the intestine, your colon, and there's a, um, a scope that's used, uh, a sigmoidoscopy, colonoscopy, or even a barium enema. These are tests that can be done to test to see if you have this problem. Most most people with diverticulosis have no symptoms and will remain symptom-free for the rest of their lives, but others will have problems. So when there's a problem, 
this uh, diverticulosis or the part of your intestine where these pouches are, it gets inflamed. So inflammation of the diverticulum area of your int- of the colon is called diverticulitis. So this occurs when there is thinning and breakdown of the wall of the colon. Uh, this may be caused by increased pressure within the colon or by hardened particles of stool. Stool can become dislodged or just sit there in the pockets of your uh the colon, the diverticulum of the colon. The symptoms of diverticulitis depend upon the degree of inflammation present. The most common symptom is pain in the left lower quadrant of your abdomen. That's why I said when you do come in and you get uh, evaluated and we uh, either in your clinic setting or even in the emergency room, where the pain is located will kind of give us a clue of what's happening. Um, Other symptoms, however, can include nausea, vomiting, constipation, diarrhea. You may even have urinary symptoms such as pain or burning when urinating or frequent need to urinate. Um, Diverticulitis is divided into simple and complicated forms. So simple diverticulitis. This occurs about 75% of uh, the time in most cases. And it's not associated with complications, and it typically responds to medical treatment without surgery, without surgery, so more medication um, treatment. However, complicated diverticulitis occurs in 25% of cases, and it usually requires surgery. Um, These complications associated with diverticulitis can include the following. You can have abscesses, which is a localized collection of pus, there can have a, a fistula can be formed, which is an abnormal tract between two areas. That's normally not connected. So your, your bowel and your bladder, meaning uh, your intestines and your bladder um, can wind up having a, this uh, fistula being formed. And uh, normally that doesn't happen. There can be obstruction, a blockage of the colon. You can have peritonitis, an infection involved in the space around the, the organ, or you can have sepsis, which is uh, over, uh, it, it covers uh, an infection over the body that can lead to failure of multiple of your, necessi- uh, your uh, uh, major organs, like the kidneys, the heart, the lungs, the liver. So once a sepsis, uh, uh, that, that uh, body-wide infection, happens, it can be life-threatening. There can also be diverticular bleeding, and this occurs when a small artery located within your diverticulum is uh, eroded and bleeds into the colon. So diverticular bleeding usually causes painless bleeding from the rectum, and approximately 50% of cases, the the people will see maroon or bright red colored uh, bowel movements. So is bleeding with a bowel movement normal? It is not normal to see blood in your stools. This can be a sign of several conditions, most of which are not serious. It could be hemorrhoids. Uh, However, uh, it still needs to be evaluated because it could be something very serious. Anybody who sees blood in their stool needs to uh, have this evaluated, have this checked out. So... Diverticulosis, diverticulitis disease, uh, once again, anything that says 
uh, itis means an infectious. So diverticulosis is often found during tests performed for other reasons. Like I told you before, because you have abdominal pain, we need to find out what is causing your pain. So with the if we're suspecting uh, or if we want to look at your colon to see if you have diverticulosis, we do a, a test called a barium enema. And this is merely an x-ray study that uses barium in an enema to view the outline of your lower intestinal tract. Uh, this is the older type test and um, was largely replaced by a CT scan. So now they don't do those barium enemas as much because you could do a CAT scan. However, it can still be done depending on who your provider is and what they feel is best. So uh, there's flexible sigmoidoscopies, and this is an examination of the inside of your sigmoid colon. Uh, it's used to look, it's a thin tube that's used uh, to look in the inside of your, uh, of the intestine, and it has a camera on the end of it. There's also a colonoscopy, and this is to look in inside of the entire colon. I covered colonoscopies in my prior uh, uh, podcast along with the, s the sigmoidoscopy, so both of these procedures were already covered. Um, a CAT scan is used to often diagnose diverticulitis and its complications. So if diverticulitis is suspected, um, the above three tests do not need to be used because we can see it on a CAT scan, okay? Um, treatment. With diverticulosis, people with diverticulosis who do not have symptoms do not require treatment. However, because... Uh, most clinicians will talk about more so diet, exercise, medications, stool softeners. We'll tell people to increase fiber in their diet. Uh, we can also tell them um, that the fiber helps to uh, increase the bulk in the stools, and that helps to prevent the development of new diverticula or areas that can cause that pouching in the um, intestine. Um, and it can also help control or prevent further bleeding if you already have this issue. Uh, fiber is not proven to prevent these conditions in all patients, but may help to control uh, recurrent episodes in some. So increasing fiber is, uh, you know, you get this by eating fruits and vegetables. That's a good source of fiber. Um, you can also, uh, we mentioned seeds and nuts. Patients with diverticular disease have historically been advised to avoid whole pieces of fiber, such as seeds, corns, and nuts, because of concern that these foods can cause an episode of the intestines uh, being irritated that's called diverticulitis. So we um, believe this is true, but it's not wholeheartedly uh, proven. However, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> However, to uh, lessen your chances of <coughs> lessen the chances of uh, the irritation and the inflammation, we ask to avoid seeds, corn, and nuts. Um, treatment once again, um, if your symptoms are severe, of course uh, we have to consider um, other options. But home treatments <coughs> that can be used if your disease is mild. Um, there's nothing other than pro probably diet 
um, and the, the types of food to avoid. Uh, usually um, a liquid diet and pain relieving medications will help initially. However, <coughs> sorry, if you start developing a fever where your temperature is above 100.1 Fahrenheit, if you are having worse or severe abdominal pain, if you cannot uh, tolerate any fluids, you having nausea, you're having vomiting, you're having blood in your stool, all of this needs to be, you need to seek treatment. You need to come to the hospital. Uh, for severe disease, uh, we do uh, have to hospitalize you. Um, and initially, we'll uh, not give you anything to eat. We'll give you IV fluids. You may even need antibiotics if an infection is actually going on. Uh, if you develop an abscess in your colon, that needs to be drained. So normally there's the procedure that's performed that we have to have a radiologist uh, who is a specialist that place these tubes <coughs> in, in the part of the abscess where the colon is, um, the abscess that's in the colon. They place that tube for drainage. But this is uh, involves surgery. Um, there's uh, also... Uh, with surgery, if you develop uh, an infection in the abdomen, which is called peritonitis, we normally have to give you antibiotics for that, and you would have to um, have surgery um, to see what is causing that infection. So <clears throat> if it's found out that your colon has a, if a part of it has been diseased, normally they have to, the surgeon will recommend that a colostomy be performed, and you say, what is this? A colostomy is an opening between the colon and the skin. Uh, this is where a bag is attached to collect waste from your intestines. So the lower end of the colon is tempor temporarily sewed closed to allow it to heal. Um, approximately three to six months later, a second operation can be performed to reconnect the two parts of the colon and close the opening in the skin. That way you're able to empty your bowels through your rectum. Uh, this is something that has to be, it's considered emergency. Uh, if you do have a diseased part of your colon and it's causing you uh, to have problems with uh, stool leaving out of your, um, from out of your body, this is considered uh, an emergency and a colostomy will have to be done. However, uh, these, these type of uh, interventions are discussed at length with the patient and with the provider, <coughs> and uh, uh, the, the explanation of what has to be done will be uh, explained, and the necessity for having it done uh, will be you know, explained to you. So uh, these are extreme cases not everyone has to undergo a colostomy and colostomies aren't forever in every situation um, only until uh, the intestines can be healed and uh, you know then it's uh, it has to take some time uh, to uh, heal and then they can reattach uh, both parts of uh, the healthy part of your colon 
so that you can have your bowel movements coming back through the rectum as they normally do. So once again, uh, this is now for extreme cases. <coughs> so uh, the operation to remove the diseased area of the colon may be necessary if you do not improve with medical therapy. That's the only time it will be done, okay? Um, after an episode of uncomplicated diverticulitis, elective surgery is generally not required as the risk of another attack or requiring emergency surgery is low. However, patients with persistent symptoms that continues because of the diverticulitis or a history of complicated diverticulitis or a compromised immune system should be evaluated uh, with a surgeon to, uh, to prevent another attack from happening. The, in these such patients, um, if, you're, uh, if you're prone to higher attacks and you may have a higher risk uh, of death because of the complications, you will have to undergo surgery, all right? So uh, in many cases, an elective operation can be performed laparoscopic, you know, laparoscopically using small incisions uh, rather than a typical vertical up and down uh, across the abdomen. So lap, lap, laparoscopic surgery uh, usually allows uh, patients to recover more quickly and shortens your hospital stay. So uh, those are called lap, for short, lap coles. Um, so after diverticulitis resolved, so once it resolved, you have, and you have not had to have uh, a colonoscopy, um, you uh, basically, uh, we recommend, once again, the type of uh, diets, uh, making sure you eat diets that's high in fiber, you're avoiding certain foods like uh, nuts, seeds, and, and those type of uh <coughs> Uh, types of uh, fiber, you know, making sure you have high fiber uh, added to your, your diet. And, um, you know, just making sure you're watching to make sure you're not bleeding anymore from your rectum and uh, that's resolved and the pain has uh, subsided. So that's uh, the most important things that we're dealing with when we're having problems with the colon or your intestine, that condition called diverticulosis. And like I said before, it's uh, in 25, approximately 15 to 25% of people with diverticulosis, they will not uh, develop diverticulitis. Um, however, if they do, um, once again, we can um, respond with medical treatment. We do therapies um, and, and basically, you know, make sure that we can uh, give the, the intestine time to heal. However, in extreme cases, we will have to have a colostomy done to, to actually be able to have the diseased portion of the colon removed um, and the healthy parts reattached. Um, and you always, you know, we want to make sure none of that disease portion of your colon had any type of cancer or polyps because those are, they will need to be removed and watched. And you would have to be followed a little closer uh, with a gastrointestinal physician um, to follow you to make sure uh, you're having tests done uh, for surveillance. Um, but other than that, 
that's uh, pretty much uh, it on that topic <coughs> that I have to cover. And um, I know that um, people may have some questions as far as, again, um, what kind of foods are the type of foods that you recommend. So once again, um, when we talk about fiber and the types of food that's high in fiber, uh, typically uh, it's uh, foods like fruits. We have apples. Apples are high in fiber. Um, they have about 4.4 grams of fiber in it, one medium-sized apple. You can even eat a banana, at oranges, uh, and prunes. Prunes have the most fiber, grams of fiber, uh, more so than the, the uh, fruits I just mentioned. Prunes are at the top of the list with about four, four uh, I'm sorry, 12.4 grams of fiber uh, per one cup of pitted prunes. So prunes are the highest, and you, like I said before, your apples, your bananas, your oranges. If you drink juice, you're not going to get as much of the fiber. It's only 0.1% uh, from any type of fruit juice you drink, whether it's apple, grapefruit, grapefruit, grapes, or orange juice. You need to eat your fruits, not drink your fruit fruits. As far as vegetables, <coughs> cooked vegetables, you have green beans. They offer a lot of fiber, uh, but you're talking about a cup. A half a cup of these uh, vegetables need to be consumed. So you got green beans, you got carrots, peas, uh, baked potato, which is one of my favorite. I don't eat it for the nutritional value of it, for the fiber. However, I just love a baked potato. But it do have about 3.8 <coughs> grams of fiber. But the peas are at the top of the list for fiber. Um, you can also eat raw uh, vegetables like cucumbers, lettuce, tomatoes, and spinach. They don't provide as much, but there are some value to them as far as fiber goes. Then you have uh, legumes, which are beans. Uh, baked beans are at the top of the list. You have uh, you can have canned baked beans. A cup, just one cup of those provide 13.9 grams. Kidney beans provide 13.6 grams, and lima beans. I'm from the South. I grew up eating lima beans, so that's 11.6. Good. Uh, thank you to my grandmother because she cooked those lima beans, and I still love them to this day. I'm a Southern girl. All right, um, lentils um, actually are at the highest with 15.6 grams of fiber. Then we go through our breads, pastas, and flours, uh, which provide some fiber, uh, brand muffins are the highest out of that category. Uh, if you eat muffins, brand would be the best. <clears throat> but oatmeal, cooked oatmeal provides you, one cup provides you with four grams of fiber. White bread and wheat breads, they don't provide that much. So eat your oatmeal and your brand muffins. Um, then, of course, pasta. Uh, macaroni, 2.5 grams. Rice, brown rice is a 3.5 White rice, unfortunately, is less than uh, a gram of fiber. So all of you all, I eat white white rice. However, you know, that's not where I get my fiber from. So I'm not worried about it. Spaghetti gives you at least 2.5 grams of fiber. And then your nuts. Almonds, peanuts, can't go wrong. Very high in fiber. 8.6 for almonds, 
and 7.9 grams of uh, fiber in peanuts. So, I, I see, I get my fiber in, so I don't have to go through buying over-the-counter stuff because I eat right. Uh, and I'm per- hopefully you guys are eating right as well. So um, try to make sure you get your fiber in. <clears throat> and uh, once again, uh, if there's anything that uh, maybe you still have questions on, please uh, consult your provider, your primary care provider. If you do not, once again, I'm always available on social media. <clears throat> you can hit me up on my Instagram or you could definitely email me at helpmeholiday at gmail.com. I hope this uh, information helped you, and I look forward to you joining in and tuning in to another segment. Thank you. If you enjoyed this content, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Help Me Holiday on our social media platform, or email me with questions at helpmeholiday at gmail.com.